0: Welcome to another Western Ag Life Voices Podcast, where we celebrate the people that make up the rich fabric of the Western lifestyle. Please do us a favor and thank the sponsors, because without them, we couldn't bring you these free podcasts. All right. Welcome to the Western Ag Life Media Podcast. My name is Dean Fish, I'm your co-host along with Paul Ramirez and Matt Arnt, and we're here with Dr. Chris Thompson, who is a technical services veterinarian with BiMedia. Dr. Thompson was raised in Central South Dakota and attended South Dakota State University and Kansas University for his undergraduate training, then graduated from Kansas State University um, College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, welcome, uh, Dr. Thompson. It's great to be here, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about growing up. How was growing up in central South Dakota? Did you grow up in an ag background with livestock?
1: Well, I didn't grow up with livestock. My my family was in the horticulture business. Had a landscaping and garden center business and and a flower shop and that was started by my grandfather back in the early 50s and and that was kind of the family business and, you know, throughout high school I worked for them and I also did some work on, on some other farms and ranches and a feed yard up there in, in central South Dakota. And just always had a passion for the, the livestock side of things.
0: Were you a member of 4-H or FFA growing up? Did you get to participate in any livestock activities? Through I was in
1: 4-H. I was in definitely in 4-H. Our, my high school, the FFA program, kind of got shut down uh, I think when I was in junior high or something so that wasn't an option at the time unfortunately. I was involved with, with
0: some 4-H stuff. and Very good. So after high school you go to South Dakota State University is that right? Yep I, I did. I spent my
1: first year of undergrad there um, and you know I, I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian. South Dakota does not have a veterinary school and I just thought you know i just Let's go to a school where where we want to continue the education now and, and kind of get to know people down there. So that's when I,
0: I transferred down to Kansas State. Right. So you were a pre vet major? Was that, was that the major? Yep. All oh, right. Yeah, animal science slash pre vet. So very good. Yep. Well, I, I had to do industry option because I wasn't smart enough to do the vet route. <laughs> same, same <here. laughs> so good. So you graduate, you get your veterinary degree, and you spent. Um, three years in large animal private practice in western Kansas, is that right? Yep,
1: yep. Spent my first three years doing, you know, mostly feed yard practice out there in southwest Kansas, Southeast Colorado area. Um, you know, with a little bit of cow calf and equine and rural area, it's always a mixed animal practice. So, you know, just ton of experience when you're in big feed yards every day. I mean, you get to see about everything there is to see in the cattle business when you're when you're in big feed yards every day.
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that part of the world, how much actual beef is produced, how we feed a lot of Americans and, you know, of course, overseas, too. Um, beef comes out of that part of the world.
1: Yes, it does. Yes, it does.
0: Very good. So you're, like I said, you're now a technical services veterinarian. And so um, what does that job normally entail? What's your, I, I know there's not a day-to-day, but what, what are your kind of your main responsibilities with by media there? So my main
1: responsibilities, you know, number one, supporting our sales force. I mean, we've got, I think nine guys running around the country, you know, out talking to veterinarians, producers, um, you know, and, and helping support them, you know, if it's, you know, just riding with them or if somebody's got a problem with something or a perceived problem, you know, jump in the truck and ride with them, educating people about our products. Um, I do some continuing education meetings for, for veterinarians. Um, you know, get into the research side a little th- of of things a little bit. You know, we we do you know field studies and things like that on on some of our products, whether it be antibiotics or vaccines or whatever. We you know design trials and get those run at various locations, and we've got to have some oversight on those. So, you know, there's there's never two days that are the same.
0: That's for sure. Yeah, it sh- sure makes it fun. That's 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 pretty neat so let's yep. let's talk about kind of the main reason we we wanted to um have you on today is to inform some of our listeners and some of our audience um you know there's been um a constant- ev- and and I think we've talked about over the last twenty years an evolution in trying to oversee judicious antibiotic use but recently this past summer there have been some even even more changes so if if you would dr Thompson kind of go over that timeline of um you know, kind of how those changes came about in particular in relationship to the antibiotic use.
1: Okay. Well, I think it all starts um, back in 2003, the FDA put out a guidance for industry number 152. Um, and basically what that did is it defined medically important antibiotic drugs. Um, and it, it ranked them based on use in humans. Um, so that's kind of what got it started. And What prompted this to begin with is a growing concern for, you know, resistance of bacteria to the antibiotics that we have, you know, and although we don't have any direct science that shows a direct link between antibiotic use in livestock and antibiotic resistance in humans, it, it is a potential concern. So, you know, if we regulate our antibiotic use a little more closely, we've got more oversight of that use, you know we can do our part to help reduce any risk of future resistance in the human population. Um, so like I said, 2003, you know, the FDA said, all right, here are our important antibiotics, our highly important antibiotics and our critically important antibiotics. And then there's others that are non-medically important. So the non-medically important is going to be, you know, some of our stat, um drugs, some of our ionophores, such as, you know, like monensin and Decox and things like that, those are not medically important on the human side of things. Our critically important antibiotics on the human side of things, you know, our third generation cephalosporins, our fluoroquinolones, our macrolides, those are all ones that are commonly used in the cattle industry. So, you know, they wanted a little bit more control over how much is being used, you know, just to do everything we can to reduce the risk of getting any resistance to these antibiotics. Um, if we fast forward to 2012, guidance for industry number 209 came out by the FDA, um, and it stated that development of resistance to antimicrobial drugs of importance to human medicine and the resulting loss of their effectiveness as antimicrobial therapies poses a serious risk to public health health. So this is where we really got into judicious use. And judicious use applied to our our medicated feed antibiotics and our water-soluble antibiotics. You know, and these are things we use for treatment, control, and prevention of disease. They did classify non-judicious use as using these antibiotics for growth promotion or improving feed efficiency. Because historically, some of these drugs, when we fed them on a continual basis, we got increased growth or increased feed efficiency, and we wanted to get away from that continual feeding and eliminate those, those label claims, basically, for these drugs. Um, in 2013, um, or, yeah, in 2013, guidance number 213 was, was written. Was implemented by the fda and this was basically the process to implement guidance number 209 and it was basically removing those growth promotion claims moving all of our feed grade antimicrobials from over the counter to requiring a a vfd or a veterinary feed directive and moving all of our water soluble antimicrobials from over the counter to requiring a prescription and that went into effect fully in january 1 of 2017. so you know that's where we've been since 2017 you know if if we've got a pen of sick calves you know you used to be able just to get some oreomycin chlor tetracycline whatever from the feed mill mix it in at the right dose and feed it now you've got to have a vfd written by a veterinarian that spells out exactly you know who we're feeding it to, how much we're feeding, how long we're feeding, the whole nine yards. So that's kind of where we've been since 2017. Um, But in 2018, the FDA came out with a new five-year action plan for supporting antimicrobial stewardship in the veterinary community. And it was driven by the concept that medically important antimicrobial drugs should only be used in animals when necessary for the treatment control or prevention of specific diseases. And one action item in that plan was to ensure that any medically important antimicrobial drugs that continue to remain available as over-the-counter products are brought under the oversight of licensed veterinarians. So, June 2021, Guidance for Industry number 263 was first published by the USDA, and that was basically recommendations for the manufacturers of these medically important antibiotics approved for use in animals to become prescription and not over-the-counter anymore, and that's what went into effect this June, where starting in June of this year, you know, the over the counter antibiotics, which, you know, not a whole lot of them left at this point. It was your penicillins, your tetracyclines, that kind of thing. Um, going forward, you're they're gonna require a prescription to get those, so they're not gonna be available over the counter at the feed mill or the farm store or, or wherever they have been in the past. Um, now they are allowed to continue to sell what they have in inventory, you know, with the old labels, you know, up until the expiration date of those products, but anything new for manufacturers after June has the new prescription label on it. And those will require a prescription to, to obtain those. So that's, that's kind of where we're at at this point in time.
0: So I guess a key component of that is having a good veterinary client patient relationship. Is that Absolutely. Correct? And, Yes, and, you know, there's there's five, five key components
1: to having a valid veterinary-client-patient relationship, and, you know, number one, the veterinarian has assumed responsibility for making clinical judgments regarding the health of the patient, um, and the animal owner has agreed to follow the veterinarian's instructions. Um, number two, the veterinarian has sufficient knowledge of the herd or group or whatever Um to get a general or preliminary diagnosis of the medical condition that, that's going on. Um, so basically the veterinarian has to, you know, be on the ranch, you know, certain number of times a year, be familiar with the management, um, you know, how these animals are managed, what the typical, you know, whether it's vaccines are used or whatever, but, you know, just typical management practices, the veterinarian needs to be on the same page as the producer Um, third, the veterinarian has to be available for follow-up, you know, whether that's emergency or phone or, or whatever, but if there's questions, the veterinarian needs to be available. Um, the veterinarian needs to provide some kind of oversight of the treatment and compliance and the outcome, and we do have to maintain patient records. That's, that's the fifth point is we've got to maintain patient records. So, you know, I think all of our producers need to realize that the veterinarian is on your side. I mean, I know I was taught in veterinary school that what I'm doing should be helping make a a producer make more money. I mean, raising livestock is a business. You've got to be profitable to do that. So what I do as a veterinarian needs to help make you more money. Um, So, I mean, I think there's a lot of consultative type things that a veterinarian can offer producers, you know, and if, if producers aren't used to that, definitely now is a really good time to do it if we haven't, but I think veterinarians can be kind of a key part of the, of the management team on, on a, on a livestock operation.
0: Yeah. I'll agree with you, Dr. Thompson. I mean, I think, I think a lot about, um, you know, I'm a small cow calf producer and I think a lot about trying to remain relevant in the beef industry and using technology. And I think having that good, um, veterinary client-patient relationship is a, is a component of it. So I, I, I certainly look at it as a positive, as a way for people that want to be productive, that want to be sustainable, you know, not only from a you an know, animal health and welfare standpoint, but from an economic standpoint is they've got to have that relationship and have that outside set of eyes kind of looking at, looking at what you're doing and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to prevent problems than to try to put the fires out.
1: So if we can, if we can prevent the issues, whether that be a a vaccination protocol or a treatment protocol, or, you know, some husbandry things that maybe we can do differently, or even going as far as nutrition. I mean, I'm not a trained nutritionist, but I know that nutrition is the number one key to health. Um, So I, you know, when I get called in to look at a problem, I'm going to look at it, look at the nutrition. If something seems wrong to me, I'm going to say hey we need to get a a nutritionist on board to look at this too and and make sure we don't have a nutrition issue going on you know that could be related to an animal health concern that we're having
0: right you know and and we think about from you know and again I'm I'm speaking more from a beef standpoint because that's where I have more of my knowledge and where most probably our listeners are, are coming from but you know we think about like beef quality assurance programs and you know they talk about you know the right way is the only way and you know I think this is a key key part of that and a key part of kind of advancing our business and i think we have a lot more eyes looking at us you know from the outside um our consumers yep. want to know where that com- where that where that animal comes from how that animal is raised how the animal is treated and i think this all kind of really plays into a part of that and i think it's something that we can look at as, as a positive and a way to to enhance our businesses and our operations I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, BQA
1: has done a ton of good for our industry. I'm, I'm actually a BQA trainer. Um, you know, so I, you know, there's a group of feed yards up here that I make sure we keep them trained up and, you know, have to go update that every year or two with those guys. And, you know, it's something I enjoy doing and, it, and it's good for the industry. I mean, as you guys know, we get a lot of new people coming into the industry and we've got to get everybody on the same page as far as doing things the right way, and producing a really good product for our consumers.
0: You know, and I think I think it's pretty simple. You know, or I'm not going to say pretty simple, but you know, it's 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 easier to have a small cow calf producer or feedlot or or something to have that veterinary client patient relationship. But what would you recommend to some of our kind of our smaller producers or kind of our backyard producers? or you know maybe a horse owner or something like that how how do they develop that relationship and how do they how do they get that started or kick that off
1: well I, I think the first thing is is talk to people in your area find out you know who the veterinarians are in your area that that you know work on the livestock the horses that kind of stuff and make a phone call to them just say hey i'm i've got a small place out here i'd like to have you come out you know let's talk about my management, I kind of, how I do things and, and just get them on your place so they can kind of look at how you do things and, and start a conversation with them about what you do. And then you guys can move into discussing if there's anything that needs to change. And maybe you're doing a great job already and you know, but you need a veterinarian to be able to get some of these medications in case you do have somebody get sick. That's great. But having that relationship and, including a veterinarian into kind of your, your management team, if you will, I think is, is nothing but positive.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with you. And I think, and you know, that information goes both ways too, you know, because there's a lot of times that, you know, i talked to my veterinarian about, you know, what's happening with other livestock producers. Are they seeing a lot of, you know, respiratory issues or have they seen, you know, some black legs this year or what, you know, poisonous plant issues, those kind of things. And so that's a really important communication for me as a livestock producer to kind of keep that, keep that, that's another part of that relationship that sometimes we don't think about.
1: Yep. Yep, exactly
0: good so um i guess kind of i'll i've, I've kind of again hogged this conversation <laughs> or no, that's good or, or but um, um matt arndt is uh is part of our team here and he um you know buys and and um sells a lot of cattle and oversees a lot of cattle and and sees a lot of stuff i'll ask matt if he's got any questions for dr thompson no you hit that last question on the head i was going to ask dr thompson you know he mentioned a vaccination program, a nutrition program, a relationship with a veterinarian. You know, what else can a producer that's, say, you know, a smaller uh, producer, you know, backyard producer kind of thing, um, you know, what can they do in, in this stage where we're seeing uh, the, this new directive come in? You know, what can they do to, to, to be proactive and be, be, uh, be with it? But you hit the nail on the head, so that was going to be my, my question. So I Sorry, do wanna, I do want to ask him what his favorite cut of beef is and how he likes to cook though, since we're you know <laughs> talking we're talking cattle today.
1: Well, I I am a filet guy and I eat them rare, so that that would have to be my my all time favorite. But I do like smoking briskets as well. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, good. any anything I can put on my Traeger is a good thing I think. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, Doc, um, you know, we're going over, I know the BQAJ um, um, certainly has uh, enlightened a lot of people, you know, uh, to proper protocol. But um, I think, you know, let's help us out here a little bit. What about on this smaller little um, uh, backyard people uh, that might have a flock of chickens or a few goats, um, you know, um, a llama or something, you know, uh, what, what does that look like for them?
1: You know it, it's tougher and tougher to find people to work on on kind of our smaller species and you know our backyard flocks and that kind of stuff and to me when we you know because i've gotten questions like that over the years and a lot of times our university extension people are really good when it comes to that um or if we've got a veterinary school you know we've got I don't know, roughly 30 schools in the U.S. I mean, they can be very good resources as well as our, you know, our state extension programs. They can be really good resources in finding somebody that can answer those questions. I mean, cause not everybody knows what to do for some of these smaller species, whether it's chickens or turkeys or sheep or goats or, you know, llamas, alpacas, whatever. Um, you just have to ask enough people to get to the right person that can help you. Um, And that's, you know, in my career when I, like I was in practice for 15 years and a lot of it, you know, it was all rural area and you get questions about everything. And if I didn't know, I was, I was calling university people at the vet school, or I was getting a hold of extension people that might have expertise in that or calling other states, you know, sheep and goat stuff. A lot of times I was calling people down South because that's where they have a lot more of those. Um, but you can do some digging and find some answers. You just got to be willing to, to get on the computer and get on the phone and, and get to the right person.
2: And one other question I have. Um, I noticed that it's become quite um, a topic of discussion, especially with the Packers. Uh, we're talking on b- cal- um site locations um, for vaccines and antibiotics. You want to hit on that lightly?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's where our BQA really plays into our injection site issues and honestly the the level of issues that we have today is very very minor um compared to when bqa was when they did the first beef quality audit back in the in the 80s i mean we were finding lots of lots of things in packing plants that they were having to trim out whether they you know giving injections in places other than the neck and you know giving everything in the muscle instead of just under the skin like we do today um you know if we look at the, you know, the most recent beef quality audits, they look fantastic. I mean, our producers throughout the country have really done a good job in, into adopting you know, the newer techniques and, and, and realizing that, hey, we are producing beef to feed the nation and, and parts of the world. So we want to do everything we can to maximize our output um, and have high quality products. So let's, let's do all the little things right to make sure that we're doing that.
2: And I have one more last question, but doc, um, tell me, um, let's go, what do you think is going to be really different? Um, as far as, uh, you know, um, from a veterinary standpoint, uh, 20 years from now.
1: Wow. That's, that's hard to say. Um, you know, technology is becoming more and more prevalent in, in everything that we do and finding qualified labor to, to care for our, all of our animals is becoming harder and harder. So I think the the biggest things we're going to see are going to be related to technology. Um, I know there's a lot of technology, some of it's here now, some of it's coming that, you know, whether it's an ear tag or a collar that, that a cow wears, that pumps information you know, it runs on an algorithm and it kicks information to your computer and says, Hey, you need to go check on these animals. You know whether their their rumination is down, their their locomotion or moving around is down, their temperature is elevated. You need to go check these animals without even sending that somebody out in the pen to look at them first. Your computer will spit out a list and tell you who to go look at. Um, And they've got some of these for the beef industry and the dairy industry as well. Um, And I think you know the technology is going to be the biggest change going forward. Is you know, we're not getting tons of new antibiotics and, and things like that. You know, vaccines, yeah, we're getting newer and better all the time. But, you know, and we'll continue to see new diseases, I'm sure. You know, the swine industry, I think, fights that worse than the cattle industry does as far as seeing new diseases, especially viruses, constantly changing. Um, but overall, I think technology, I think our our ability to get more rapid diagnostics when we do have a problem is going to get better. Um, you know, with the invention of PCR technology, we are already able to find out what bugs are there pretty quick. And I think, you know, that's only going to accelerate as we go forward, which is going to be a huge benefit to us.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you. I think that, you know, there's probably an, is, this is probably not the accurate word to describe it, but there's probably opportunities for like telemedicine, right. You know, where you can do some remote stuff as you know, as our phones have improved and communications have improved, you can probably do some remote stuff and, and um, you know, help producers out in that way as well.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot of that that goes on now. I mean, if you know, if we have an animal that passes away and it, People can be trained to do a necropsy in the field and take pictures of everything and, and send it off to the, to the veterinarian so they can look at it. You know, if it's a feed yard that they consult with that's several hours away, but yet they can see what's happening there on a daily basis just from, from getting all the pictures. Um, yeah, so that's, that's great technology, and we're seeing more and more of that used all the time.
0: I guess I guess one other follow up question in, in relation to Paul's question, talking about the future of veterinary medicine. What do, what do you kind of see as far as um, veterinary medicine training? How you know how you know? I are we recruiting enough young people into that field? Do we have enough opportunities for them? You know, and and are we as producers using them correctly to make sure that they can sustain their livelihood as food animal veterinarians? You know,
1: and that that's been a. a Big topic of discussion, you know, in, all, in the entire veterinary community, honestly, since I graduated 23 years ago. Um, the number of veterinarians graduating and going into rural, large and mixed animal practice, I think is continuing to go down. Um, we're getting tons of people going into the small animal, companion animal type practice. Um, but the equine and the food animal, you know, I think we're struggling to, to get enough of them. I mean, the majority of my travel is the central U S you know, from Texas to North Dakota over into the Rocky mountain States, Montana and Wyoming a little bit. And, you know, if I knew of 30 young veterinarians that were looking for a job to do cattle work, I could find them a job. I mean, it would be no problem. Um, so I, I think we, we need to put a lot of pressure on our veterinary schools to really look at you know the type of students they're recruiting and making sure we're getting some students that want to be involved in animal agriculture and live in rural communities I mean it, it's it's we've, but we've got to be able to sustain them in rural areas as well I mean the the cost of veterinary education keeps going up I think the average debt load last I saw was I don't know, 170, 180,000 or something like that. So, I mean, you come out of vet school and you've got a lot of payments to make right there. And that doesn't give you a, a place to live or a truck to drive or, or anything. So, you know, we've got to keep producers utilizing the veterinarians in order to sustain them in rural areas. I mean, that, that's definitely part of it. And I think, you know, part of this, you know, having all these antibiotics being prescription. If it gets more of our producers utilizing a veterinarian and, and really understanding what all a veterinarian can bring to an operation from, as far as a, a consultant type approach and, and, you know, helping with the management stuff, they can, you know, in the end, make the producer more money and make the veterinarian
0: more money is we really need to
1: focus on that area.
0: Well, And, and it's the right thing to do for the health and welfare of that animal too. So yeah, that all, that yep. all ties together for sure. So, so I guess kind of wrapping up. Um, tell us a little bit about um, Bymedia and how they can find out more about um, the products that your company offers.
1: So, Bimeda has been around for a long time. It was started in Ireland by two brothers who were veterinarians. Um, has been in the United States for over forty years, and you know, for a long time was just primarily a manufacturing company. Um, a lot of private label type products. Um, Antibiotics, dewormers, um, tons of different products. We've got, you know, stuff for cattle, stuff for swine, stuff for horses. You know, more recently we've moved into having more branded type products that we're producing on our own. Um, you know, Macerson is a probably our our second newest antibiotic now. It's been on the market since 2019. We just brought back another antibiotic, um, Spectinomycin that had been pulled off the market by the, uh, by the Pioneer manufacturer back in about 2005. Um, so we picked up that license, and we just recently brought that one back to market. Um, the other thing that happened with Vimita is in late 2019, we bought a, a vaccine company down in Texas. Um, so, And to me as a veterinarian, that's what excites me is I like to try to prevent disease, of course way more than I like to treat it. And we can do that through vaccines. So I'm, I'm really excited about the growth in our, in our vaccine company and some of the new things we've brought to the market there. Um, so I, you know, as a company, we, we definitely got a big focus on vaccines going forward in, in addition to all of our traditional, um, injectable and pour on products that that we have available.
0: Well, you, you cover the whole spectrum there, Dr. Thompson. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Very good. Well, any, any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Anything that you know, any, just, we haven't covered?
1: Biggest thing is, is if you don't have a relationship with your veterinarian, you know, find out who your friends and neighbors are using, give them a call, have them out to your place, and just establish that relationship now rather than at, you know, 2 in the morning when you have an emergency going on. Um, it, it's really important to have that relationship established so that, Hey, they kind you know, that kind of knows what you're doing. And when you do have an issue and call, they can say, oh yeah, I was there. I remembered this is what you're doing and it'll make life a whole lot easier.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, we thank you, Dr. Chris Thompson from By Media, talking about, um, you know, kind of the relationship that we need to have with our veterinarian and some of the new changes in um, antibiotic use. We appreciate you on behalf of Paul and Matt. This is Dean signing off for Western Ag Life Media.